Hello everybody, how are you doing? This is S. Anthony Thomas. This is the S. Anthony Thomas Show, and my guest this time is comedian, writer, and friend Joshua Q. Livingston, and we're talking about his journey from comedian to movie reviewer to published author, and he has a very interesting story that his dad told him about his time in WW2. Yes, he's got an interesting story, and he also has some very, very interesting stories about himself, and we talk about comedy some of our friends. You will find this interesting. Do not miss this episode. You know what? Enough about me. You want to hear the show? Of course you do. Let's do it. There we go. Joshua Q. Livingston, everybody. Old friend of mine. Glad to have you on the show. I'm glad you're here. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) man (laughs) uh, uh, just just to give you an idea of why we're laughing uh for those of you listening uh, as i stated joshua is an old friend of mine uh we did comedy back in the 80s together and uh what you don't know listening audience is that uh it's going to sound smooth to you but we just uh went through a nice war with technology to uh to even to even get on the air so now we're finally here and that's why we're laughing because we know something that you did not so josh <laughs> josh do me a favor uh one of the reasons i had you on here other than the fact that i wanted to talk to you anyway was uh you wrote a book and i'm in the process of reading it and i, I just want to talk to the audience very very quickly um i'll be honest with you it's good i enjoyed it and i defy you to start reading this book and put it down before you hit about 30 or 40 pages. You're not gonna be able to do it. So I'm gonna put the link in the description. Uh, so when the, by the time you hear this, there'll be a link to the book. I would suggest you go get it. I'm enjoying it. And I'll be honest with you, I think, in fact, I'm pretty sure, in fact, I'm very sure you will too. Tell them what the name of the book is, Josh. Okay, yes. Uh, the name of the book is The Rescue Cat's Guide to Bedtime Stories. So you will see that link, and when we're done talking, uh, go and check in the notes. There will be a link directly to the book, and I will suggest that you get it. But now, let's get to me talking to my old friend, my friend. Now, Josh, I we've been stalking each other on Facebook for years. Right. <laughs> I've actually, I've actually been on things. Facebook for nine years. Oh, yeah. I got on Facebook in 2009. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it, it, well, the thing about it is, is we both see we both as comics from back in the day. You meet so many people that you literally you and you 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 enjoy these people's company. You like them. You want to talk to them, but it's literally just not physically possible to have conversations and talk and spend as much time as and connect with the people uh, the way you'd like to. It's just physically not possible. But because of social media, we have the opportunity to, you know, take to check in and make sure everybody's okay. And it's like a, it's like a postcard that follows you in your pocket. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Now I got to know. Now I know of you now as a writer, but I, when I, we initially met in the mid eighties, uh, we met as comedians and, um, I just wanted to find out because it's, it's to me it's very very interesting. We're we're, we're creative people, and they they refer to us as creatives, uh, uh, writers, comics, and pe- people like that. And I don't know. I mean, I just I'm just really curious about what makes a person pick up the microphone for the first time. You know, what made you decide this is something that you'd even want to try? Because it takes a lot of courage to get up on that stage. Well, I. I'd like to answer that. A few things. I had a severe, (laughs) severe stutter when I was a kid, as most people that did comedy who knew me back then knew that. But the irony part is that Mm -hmm. they thought I I had a slight stammer offstage, but whenever I stuttered onstage, it was on purpose. I was doing, you know, material about my problem. But I really didn't stutter. Anyway, the point is, if you have a severe stutter when you're a kid, excuse me, if you don't have courage, you don't talk. 
So I I had that courage. I was a class clown when I was a kid. I had sort of a, uh, a not an enjoyable family life. I mean, we were affluent, but I wasn't terribly happy. So I always knew how to make people laugh. And I did things in high school. I did my own bits. I did my own comedy bits. So when I was 28 years old, it was almost natural. Then I also, I I also took a class at the learning annex as well. Hmm. That, that was, that's an interesting thing because see what, this is what I want to let the audience know. Um, when Josh and I started doing comedy uh, in the mid eighties, at that particular time, the comedy boom was going on. And uh, you know how you have, how you see Starbucks everywhere right now? Well, multiply that by three. <laughs> and that's, and that's how many comedy rooms existed, uh, at least in the Northeast quarter of the country at the time. So there was a lot of people that were interested in doing comedy and it seemed like something fun to do, even though, uh, like I said, it, it takes a lot of courage. And obviously, uh, Joshua was telling about his talent and had the courage to do that. Now, when you got on the stage as a comedian, because there's, there's, a, there's a different thing, you know, making your friends laugh and things of that nature, maybe even, you know, annoying. Your, did you annoy your family with your jokes? Uh, you mean when I was growing up? Because I did. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, well, I did. Well, you, you mean, well, see, I was on my own by that point anyway. I, I was already on my own, so I didn't have a problem with that. No, I mean, I mean, when you, it, it's, it's, well, a lot of us who, who started doing comedy, you started, you said in your late twenties, but a lot of us had the gene and that, um, you know, or maybe writing jokes or doing sketches or doing some kind of comedy, something, even if it was just around the house. Oh yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I'll, I'll tell you what, I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. And we weren't direct Mm -hmm. with our feelings. So you use comedy to communicate. Like, for instance, I learned how to mock people early on. Let's say you were in the bathroom uh, for too long and dad would knock on the door. Okay, that's it. That's it. And, And then I would say, okay, that's it. That's it. And dad would say, stop mocking me. And I would go. Stop mocking me. And so that, that's kind of how it started. <laughs> you know, I didn't do jokes, but I, I would I would imitate people or you would just have, you know, it was a crazy family and I had to laugh in order to keep from crying sometimes, too. Mm-hmm. It, it's really weird. I mean, it, that's what I, I noticed that what happens with, with a lot of comics that I've met over the years. It's either some is either. Uh, you have the funny parent or parents or there's, or there's something else going on. Maybe it's not as not the most comfortable situation at home. And it's usually one of the two, you know, and, 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 and from obviously what you're saying, it wasn't as comfortable uh, uh, an upbringing as one. No, of but actually, um, um, I'm sorry for cutting you off. I realize this is your show, but I just want to get, uh, I just want to, sometimes I like to cut people off. I apologize for that. Especially since I hate when hated when people cut me off. But you know what? My dad was naturally I've known a lot of people in the comedy world that were hilarious. My dad was one of the funniest people I've ever known. And so not only did we have that crazy upbringing, but my dad was genuinely hilarious at times. Because mm-hmm. he was a World War II vet. He probably had what they call now post- Traumatic stress. I think I said traumatic, but post-traumatic stress syndrome. And so he he was kind of half crazy, but he was a successful businessman. But he had to, he didn't tell jokes. He couldn't tell jokes to save his life. But he had a great sense of humor. Well, well, you know what? The, know what I've noticed about people is you know, same thing with uh, like you said, he was a veteran. You see the same thing with fire pe- firefighters, police officers, first responders. They they see so many hor- so many horrific things, life and death in front of them on a regular basis. Nurses, doctors, same thing. They deal with that so often that the humor comes up, like you were saying, as a shield or a buffer. And you know, a lot of times though, they turn out to have 
pretty good sense of humor, mainly because to survive, they kind of have to. Oh, yeah. He told me now, do you mind if I tell you it's a story when he was in the Battle of the Bulge? Uh, he's been gone for a while, not for that long. Sure. It's it's kind of dark, okay? So, no so he told me a story about one time when they were in the Battle of the Bulge. And the uh, the one the, the guy was the kick. He had some great K rations. They're going to make some pancakes. So there was no place to eat the pancakes. So they ate the pancakes on the bodies of <laughs> on the frozen bodies of uh, German soldiers. And it's it's kind of sad now. But when he told me the story, when I was like in high school, I. Mm-hmm. I thought it was hilarious. Like I said, you see, right, what I'm saying? Exactly. it's like it's like the kind of things that that we as as people who don't have to go through those horrific circumstances, we would go, "Oh, that's horrible." But when you find yourself in a circumstance that is just horrendous, you get it. You you create a gallows humor. Yeah, you know what I think it's. You know what I think it is also. A lot of comedians are crazy, half mm-hmm. crazy maybe, but a lot of them are, I think they have an innate decency. And I'll, I've learned this. I've learned, um, I'm a cat person, as you know by my book. And sometimes people mm-hmm. that are, have, who are truly funny people, they react to the world not the same way that other people react. Like I could be eating dinner. And here comes my cat. She accidentally knocks over uh, a glass of water. Some people might get angry and actually hit the cat. I think it's hilarious. So I think it's a defense mechanism coming from the fact that you've had a lot of pain, but basically you've been able to remain a fairly decent person. Well, you know what I've the funny thing about comics is we we. And it's like even when you stop doing comedy and start doing something else, you've already built the machine and it's in your head and it's going to do what it does no matter what. And just like you were saying just, just a couple seconds ago when you were referring to your cat knocking over your water and, and some people would get upset, maybe even do something oh. that they shouldn't like attack right. the cat. But the thing is, comics, we're always, our brain is always our brains just kind of suck in information. Hey. And I remember something bad happening to me. <laughs> this, this, I remember something really bad happening that I can't say. Uh, and so, and I was sitting there the whole time going, you know, you may think you screwed me over, but uh, you just gave me about nine <laughs> minutes of material. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and I, rem- I, <laughs> and I, I literally funny. remember, I was like, I remember, this is, this is about, yeah, this is back when we knew each other, and I, I remember I was I was uh we would we had just mo- I had just moved over from the comedy works to the comedy factory. I, okay, I'll tell you what it was: a girlfriend cheated on me, and um, in like a really bad oh. way, especially to a young guy who's you know I could you know because I was a lot younger than she was, and I was crushed. And then I went, you know, well, I could be upset, but this is like nine minutes <laughs> of material. <laughs> and I stopped sitting going. And I was like, oh, my God, what the hell just happened to me? I, I said, I, that's when I was sitting there going, I'm not old. As I, I was sitting there going, you know what, I'm 19 or, t- or 20, whatever. I, was, I think it was like 19. I went, you know what, I think I'm officially a, a comedian now because a normal person would be crying right now. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, this would be good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and that's what happened to us. And, it, and that's, what I said, that's what happened to your father regarding that. Because like you said, you would never think of doing something like that. I would never think of doing something like that. But if you're out there in the field, and you have no choice, and and if there's just horrendous circumstances, you're going to do and what you're going to do. That, even you know, but we're talking pancakes here, all right? <laughs> I mean, we're. I mean, it's it's hard to turn down pancakes. You know, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Yes, I, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, pancake, I mean, I mean, we all talking pancakes here, man. You know, and it's, it's what it is. Now, you, now, as far as as far as your mom, now you now see. I'm trying to figure because a lot of times, 
like some comics I talk to, both parents are hilarious. You know, and sometimes you have one person who's just a regular nice person, and then you have the showstopper over there. Now, was was mother funny? She was, well? but in a different way. She was very caustic. She actually was a little crazy herself. Her, she <laughs> lost her dad when she was young, like eighteen or nineteen, and she. I think she was not a happy person. I shouldn't say crazy, but I'm just saying. But you know, she's you know she. She was a great audience. I think that's how they connected. You know, dad was the comedian, and mom was like the dream audience, right? That is that. You no, know, for instance, I have an interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's the soil. Sorry, the I have an interesting story about that. No, no, go ahead. So I was in the. Ah, good. Can you hear me? Hello. All right. Yes. So I had an interesting. Yes, I can. Hear you. What? All All right. Right. Go ahead. So, uh, when I was a kid, I watched an Errol Flynn movie by myself at my parents' room. I guess they were doing something in the kitchen. Maybe mom was trying to cook dinner. I don't know. And dad was hanging out with her. So I watched a great Errol Flynn movie, one of those great swashbucklers called Captain Blood. And I came down. I said, have you ever seen a movie called Captain Blood? And my dad says, no, but I've seen sergeant liver and mom almost she she fell into hysterical laughter well, i didn't think it was that funny i thought it was kind of corny but mom thought it was the funniest thing she had ever heard and so dad his best audience was mom that's all that's good did you uh do you uh what about brothers and sisters? Yeah, uh, I have two brothers. Well, we've had some things going on in the, the family. It's a good thing. I don't know if I'm going to let anyone know in the family about this. <laughs> we've had some things going on. We've had some crazy. <laughs> we've had some. We've had some theft. We've had some weird things with finances since my dad died and my mom died. But when I was growing up, we were extremely lively, and sometimes we didn't get along, but sometimes we got along really well. You know. Yeah, it's 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 really weird because I, I don't know. Was it were, were they funny? Sometimes as well? I think I was the funniest, but you know, you know, it's funny. I have an older sister who's hard of hearing, and she and I used to have laughing contests. Uh, it was kind of our secret; no one else knew about it. It would be like if it, I mean, sometimes it would only be once a year, or maybe every three years. Uh, I think the last time was like when we were in our 20s and she would just come to me and said, hey, do you feel like having a laughing contest? So we go down in the kitchen and we we have a laughing contest. And the first person to laugh lost. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and because yeah, it's that and because she was hard of hearing, there was a, I learned how to do physical comedy you know i i learned how to do imitations you know like facial expressions and things like that mm-hmm. you see but but if you think about it, i mean look about look at the soil you came from though you had the people you had the jokes you had the humor yeah obviously you had the, you know all these other things going on and it kind of you know it it, it it changes who you are. It makes who you are, and then it changes who you are, obviously. And because I read the book, and uh, I'm going to get to that in a little bit, but I still I'm going to stick with this for a little while. Just just the comedy action. When you actually transition from what you were doing there to the classroom to the stand up comedy, did it seem much different than you thought? And how did it go when you stepped on that stage at the well, comedy world? I- for the first time. And they said, okay, number 17. Jump. I had done, uh, I had taken a class with Tracy Skeen, uh, Skeen and Brian McKean at the Learning Annex. And they had, they, they were, they were great teachers mm-hmm. because have you ever seen in the bad movies when they have a comedy class and they, they say how to be funny? Tracy and Brian, they didn't do that. Their, their theory was if you came to this class, it means you already know how it is to be funny. So they just encourage you to structure an act and to 
They, they encouraged you. They supported you. But they didn't tell you how to be funny. So I think the first couple of times I didn't do so good. I don't know if I ever, I mean, as you know, I didn't really have too much of a comedy career. I mean, I was mostly open mics. Occasionally I'd be in a contest, that kind of thing. But in terms of the first time, I think I just had to keep on doing it. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's like the first year of comedy is a qu- is basically uh, it's like yeah. teasing, <laughs> you know, because you know you're you're learning how to do something in front of people while they're staring at you. But you know, the great thing is, I I'm sorry, please. And I, no, I, I think there's not, like a, there's like a uh, the great thing about it is there is that community. We started during the comedy boom. So there was a lot of promise. It was like doing, you know, going to CBGBs in the late seventies, or wanting to be a rock musician in Liverpool in the early sixties. It was the right time and the right place. And so there was a lot of cool. I actually hung out with Gus for a while. I was there. Be you know how there used to be. Uh, you know how they had this click. Well, there were actually a lot of clicks, but there was one click, and I don't want to go into that too much, you know. But uh, I actually, uh, you know, because I don't want <laughs> I, I don't want you to get in trouble. But uh, I actually hung out. I hung out with Paul, and I was like the first guy they were actually hanging out with, and then they created the click, and I was not asked to be in the group. So you know, I was kind of like the. The Pete Best of comedy. I don't know if you get that joke or not, but huh. you know what I'm saying? Yes, I mean, I no, we actually yeah. hung out and they <laughs> I was like ten years older than they were and they were wild men. They would throw beer bottles up against the walls outside, all kinds of crazy stuff. And perhaps I just was not crazy, uh, maybe I just maybe I wasn't that crazy. But um, but no, I mean it was a bit. I'm sorry. Well, they did a. Remember they did a. Remember they did. Oh a bit yeah, called absolutely. Lapel. I remember that. <laughs> I, you know what? <laughs> you know, and uh, my favorite bit of theirs was a mm-hmm. bit that they didn't like doing. Maybe it wasn't politically correct. It was the gay best friend. <laughs> <laughs> and they would invite some girl on stage and they would ask her just to complain about her boyfriend. And then Rick, may God rest his soul, of course, mm-hmm. uh, he, he would do Indeed, the yeah. sort of the gay stereotype and see, he would say, there, there, he, he wasn't good enough for you anyway. Here, have some tea, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, they did a lot. Of, they did a lot of interesting, uh, interesting ideas back then. Uh, it, they, they, you were right. There were a lot of clicks, and I kind of floated back and forth because a lot of times with clicks, they tend to want you to to kind of, you know, kind of be in in that. And I, and I was like, I'm not going to just hang out with one group of people. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, you know, I was like, it's like guys, because I, I hung out with, with them a little bit and with all the other groups. And, and keep in mind, um, yeah. I was 17 at the time. So so I was like the baby brother to everybody, <laughs> you know, they just kind of dragged me along to, to different shows and things of that nature. And uh, and one of the, some of the people I used to hang out with, and I hung out with, uh, with Fred oh, yeah. Novak and Jeffrey, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh my! <laughs> and there's some stories there that I'm well, not telling. Well, I <laughs> there's a bunch of well, stories I have a great there story about what I was saying. I went to LA. I understand you were actually in there for quite a while, right? Okay, so I was there. Oh yeah. I spent. I was there for a week in '95, and do you remember on Tuesday? So you used to have the uh, open mic mm-hmm. at the. The Laugh Factory. Okay, and then uh, Jamie would give you a critique. But you had to wait all afternoon to sign up. And then you got signed up at 5 or 6 o'clock. 
So I was hanging out with Fred, and uh, you know, of course, I had known for I was wasn't friends the way you were, but I had known we actually, you know, how if if you remember, everyone hung out in Philly. You know, you go to a diner, you hang out at the hang out at the mm-hmm. karaoke or however. But so I wasn't close with him, but he was there, and so we we hung out all afternoon. And at some point, I was hungry, and I said, "I want to get something." He said, "There's a convenience store down the street." I said, "Okay, by the way." Would you mind buying me a beer? And I said, Freddie, you're sure? He said, don't worry about it. Just buy. A sippy cup as well. So I bought him a cup and I bought him a beer and I got a sandwich and a drink for myself, a soda. And the whole day. He nursed his beer. And, and then we got signed up and I went around the corner and had dinner with Jet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a hilarious story, but, you know, I'm sorry <laughs> about that. <laughs> no, well, the thing about... <laughs> no, I was just thinking about it because everybody, when I went out there, I went out there in 93, the end of 93, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about regarding the laugh factory um for those for those listening i don't know if they're still doing that but what happened was people would line up like 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 uh, josh said around the laugh factory and you'd wait there to the evening and it was a long day i mean it got to the point later on where people were showing up so early that literally you would have to get there at six o'clock in the morning you know so you would literally be there from six o'clock in the morning until 6 p.m outside standing outside or sitting outside of this comedy club for the opportunity to get a number for the opportunity to get on stage to perform and then have the owner jamie masada would uh like all the people that did the open mic night they would go upstairs and jamie would literally sit he would watch your act as you perform yes. and he would give you a critique yes. of your act and make some suggestions and things of that nature and, and uh i used to get a kick out of it because um he had interesting ideas about what you should do with your with your show um <laughs> he had some yeah. like, unique perspectives uh on what one should do well he actually <laughs> told me he that. thought i should uh, but- stutter on purpose <laughs> and i've been taking years to try to get rid of this stutter i didn't mind yeah. talking about it because it was my pain it was my experience but there's no way i'm going to go up there and be Bobo the stuttering comic. And yeah, because it, it all of a sudden. Yeah, I, I had no interest in while. doing that. Because yeah. there were times that I, you know what, if you ever notice, uh, there was one comedian, he had an open mic out in the, like, out in Bluebell, PA. Uh, and I went out there once and I decided to do hmm. a goofy dance. Uh, and it actually got a lot of laughs. But the next time I came back, she said, hey, uh, you're going to do that uh, goofy dance? And I felt like the I felt like the disabled kid in third grade. You know, I thought I'd do the goofy dance and then they would follow me out to the parking lot and try to do things with me, you know? So uh, I was trying to make a joke there, but what I'm saying is, uh, mm-hmm. I think you got to stay away from that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, there's the problem there is that, you know, sometimes when you you make, it, you know, like when you make fun of things, it's like when if you're a heavy guy and you do heavy guy jokes, you know, and there comes a point where if you do it too long or too much, it becomes all about that. And, you know, the whole idea about doing, but doing the jokes is for them to laugh at your ideas and understand what you're doing. And you don't want it to be all about that because you'll try to do something different and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do the stuttering thing or yeah, yeah, yeah. Do the heavy guy thing. No. And you don't want it to always be about that, you know? Um, Cause it, it gets where they go from laughing with you to laughing at you. And that is the worst. You don't want, you know, you don't want that. Like that's, it's, Actually, it's, it's, um, it's a I used to feeling. do that when I was and, a kid. Uh, no one wants that. I used to class clown, but then sometimes I would cross over in to negative attention. 
And I think there's a fine line between self-deprecating humor mm-hmm. and losing your self-respect. Exactly right. And then, and you got to, and the, the whole idea is to, is to, is to either not go there or get off of that as quickly as possible. You know, cause sometimes it, once, once it, once it gets out of your control, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'll put it to you this way as a comic, if you laugh and joke with people that you meet, say you go into the, say you work in our office and you laugh and joke all the time. What happens is, is like they, they basically, if you try to be serious or you need to be right. serious for something, they're waiting for the joke. <laughs> and you're going, no, the building is on fire. No, it's not on fire. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, and, no, honestly. Uh, you know. Bob from accounting uh, just jumped out the window. Oh, he brought a smoke <laughs> Right? <laughs> Yeah, you're going too far with the smoke machine, man. <laughs> like, no, I, I wait outside. You hired some friends dressed up yeah. like the fire department. Oh Come my on, god, bro. it's Calm like well, no, you're trying to say, <laughs> so, listen, there's new scammers outside. Me? Okay, the place is burning down. Let's go. <laughs> 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 okay, see I don't you. believe you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, actually, <laughs> it was nice. I, I probably Can asked I for a chair. Can I take that with me. Uh, I'm not going to ask for a chair. I'd probably <laughs> ask for the car, right? <laughs> yeah, the car came <laughs> Hey, look, if you've ever worked in an office, you find a good, comfortable no, actually, chair. I'm telling you, you take the chair. I, I the actually chair. have. Yeah, you know, I actually was a temp for a while. So I know what you're talking about. Been there. Been there, my friend, Joshua. I believe me. I have been there, and I, oh my goodness, that was horrible. Um, now what I want to do, I got it, I got it. We, no, we did the comedy thing, and wow. now you've done Joshua the comedy. Thank you. Now it's time to Joshua the author. We got to move to the, we got to move to the author. So now we we move past comedy, and now all of us, because when I when I when I found you on Facebook, uh, you were t- I knew that you were a writer, and I was like, okay, cool. Uh, but so, how did you transition, or what made you transition? And how did you transition from the comedy? All right. Well, uh, it's a long story. I'll try to keep it uh, brief, but it was a process. You know how likely uh, the arts is like a bad relationship. You do it as long as you can, but you realize the girl's always going to cheat on you, and then it's time to move on, right? So I did comedy. Well, you know, like she she might say, I like yeah, you, exactly. and then yeah. she's, she's got her other boyfriend and, you know, other boyfriend in the other room. It's 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 time to go. So in the late 90s, I realized comedy was has gone as far as it was going to go. It was I was putting in too much and it wasn't giving back. So I did a series of things. I tried to be a web designer for a while. Uh, I was actually I was I've actually been a freelance writer since not long after I changed doing comedy is the the web designer stuff led to being online a lot. And then I got some jobs online. So actually I was a film critic for nine years for a, a small paper in Philly. And then I wrote a screenplay. I, I got some people to read it, but it didn't go further than that. I wrote a play that got no interest. I've actually written articles for like the Chestnut Hill local and things, you know, like things about my life. Matter of fact, and I think you might have seen it. I did an article about being a stuttering comic and I will be more than happy to send that to you later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it just, it, you know, it, I'm a creative person, but I also know when it's time to leave the party. And so it's it's been an ongoing change for me. It's been an ongoing process. And I came to University City in 2006. And as you know, being in this area, this uh, West Philly has a lot of feral cats. So I started to feed the cats. I, I, I actually became the crazy mm-hmm. cat guy. And I brought in two cats, and then I eventually 
started to write a novel. I said, it's time to write a novel. Just, you know, I tried everything else. And to be honest with you, I never ever thought I could write a novel. And I said, I think I'll write a novel. So that's how they got, that's how it got to that point. Sure. You, okay, I want to, I want to back up just a little bit. Film critic? 2001 to 2009. I mean, it's no, if anyone knows my real name, it's not a big deal. I wrote for the South Philly Review. And it was a mixed experience because even though I love movies, if you know me in real life, you know, like the old friend Fred, you love movies. I'm like that. I love movies. always have. And uh, it was a great experience. Uh, But it was not, you know what, film critics are not terribly nice people. And the people that run the PR companies are not terribly nice people. And they play favorites. And after a while, I just, you know, I had been doing it for eight years. And one time I complained about it to one of the people that worked for the PR company. And then I got a call, actually an email from the head of the PR company. And she, she, we had a conversation. She said, uh, you don't need to come to our screenings anymore. And they were an advertiser for, yep, advertiser for a newspaper. And the newspaper mm-hmm. actually took their side. And I did what I th- thought. I didn't lose my temper, but I decided to resign. I said, you know what? I don't, you know what they said? They said I could do movies, but I couldn't do movies from that PR company. That meant every now and then, if there was an independent PR company, I could do the movie. But they were the biggest game in town, almost the only game in town. So I just said, you know, I think it's time for me to move on. And that indirectly led to me, you know, I, that's when I tried to uh, play. I wrote a play and then eventually I started my novel. Now I want to find out now the world is full of cat people and dog people. Now, are you a person that likes cats more and doesn't, or, or do you just prefer? No, you know what happened? Like it dogs, just kind of happened to me. I'm a spiritual person. We don't have to go to that on your show because I, you know, I don't know what your, I don't know what your background is, and we're just talking. We're just having a nice conversation. But I believe things happen for a reason. And I, when mm-hmm. I came to this uh, area, I was never a cat person. My parents had a gorgeous little terrier mix her name was doobie before that we you know our crazy family dogs used to come to our family and they would get nervous breakdowns and either they would get hit by a car or they would be taken to a family out Mm -hmm. in the country because we you know we we would drive our dogs crazy but everyone was basically out of the house except for my kid's sister and she got a she got this great dog. Her name was Doobie, and she was just a gorgeous little sweet dog. So I'm not a dog or a cat person. But when I came to this neighborhood, I, I saw the one day I saw these three kittens, and I started to feed them, and that's where it started. Now I want to find out because I'm in the process of finishing up the book. I I um. You talk about the cats, and obviously it's the name of the book is The Rescue Cat's Guide to Bedtime Stories. And you talk about your cats in the book. Um, well, I, I, obviously Simone and Neela will be the main cats in the book. But Yes, uh, Simone and Neela. those names from Simone, as a matter of fact. Or did you create names? Neela died last year. She... Um... She died of cancer, and I, I, I hope that doesn't ruin the book for you. <laughs> but uh, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> Actually, Simone is here right now. She's lying about five inches away from me on my bed. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, as you know, the, um, my name is not Stephen Miller. and Well, my name isn't even Joshua Livingston. But and that, that's not a secret, you know. That's uh, mm-hmm. Mark Twain's original name was not Mark Twain, mm-hmm. as I think most people know that. But my point is, is that it just kind of happened. And by the way, how far are you now? Mm-hmm. Oh wow! So I think you know uh, then that the book is not just about cats; it's about a lot of things, right? 
Exactly. Yeah, I know part three turns into you. But not only that, the whole you know, book is sort of a metaphor yeah. for my journey, but really the subtext of the book is we all need to talk to each other. We need to tell us each other our stories. That's why I call it the Rescue Cats Guide to Bedtime Stories. Because it's really, and now we're going through a time in our history of the world where people aren't talking to each other, and I think they got to start talking to each other. And that's the theme of the book, that we need to get back to, you know, the way they used to do thousands of years ago. They used to sit around the campfire, and they would have s'mores, and they would have uh, uh, mastodon uh, barbecue. You know, I, I think usually they have a barbecue first and then, then they would have the s'mores. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, I am trying to do some shtick here. But anyway, <laughs> the point of the story is we need to go back. I know I'm starting to sound like, <laughs> start to sound like Johnny Carson after a bad joke. But the, the <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> I think it's time to fire know, some raiders, uh, right? But uh, oh, uh, hey, Ed. <laughs> I tell you what, I will supply you the line, and if you want to do it in your Johnny voice, well, whatever it was, it was too much, right? But anyway, but what I'm saying, we, I think we need, thank you. Uh, yeah. What I'm saying is that I think we need to get back to that. We need to get back to telling each other our stories. And that's really, that. and it's all the theme. It's a theme about a, a guy. It's about a guy that, it's, it's me. It's about a guy, he never felt love. You know, maybe not romantic love, but he never felt love. And he finally finds love as a mental-aged man from two little animals. And I know it's not the same as having a girlfriend. And I know some people out there are probably laughing. No, it's not the same as having a girlfriend, idiot. But the point of the story is that it's also about me. It's about how I finally found love as a middle-aged man. And it kind of changed me. And it, it also made me less selfish. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you have someone or something to care for. You know, it, it takes all of the, you know, when you have responsibility for someone or something, it, you know, it does, it does change who you are, whether, whether it's a child, whether it's a pet, when you love something else and it's not all about you or, you know, or me and it becomes about someone else, it does change who you are immediately. You know, it's, it's the same thing as if, if you adopt a kid or, if you have children in your family that you that you love and that you see all the time, all of a sudden, you know, when you start directing some of that energy towards someone else, you know, it kind of opens you up. And, you know, when you have like when you have the, the, the cats, you, you had the two. And. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, know, you said you, they were feral cats. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's how you got. Them. That's how you got. Them. OK, because I know. uh, uh in my uncle's in my uncle's neighborhood, uh, he had there were a lot of cats around. I mean, they were like they would be having these kittens, and what started to happen was people started to literally they knew the cats were on the block, so everybody that knew the area would drive methodically slowly wow. down the block because they knew kittens were there. And then when they realized when they realized no one had claimed the kittens, it was just a couple of cats that had had. All of a sudden, everybody in the block uh, around there was like, "Well, nobody's claiming these cats. I guess I have a cat now." <laughs> you know, and they all started to take the cat. They all started to take the cats in, and people were putting food on the porch. And I would go visit my uncle. I'd sit yeah, on the porch, and I yeah. had cats in my lap. And I'm going, I'm kind of liking this a little bit, you know. So I know how when you know, I know how cats. Not, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I actually tell you a story. When I brought Simone in, I'd already been, uh, and I think the story is actually, it's actually in the book of how I brought her in, but I was already feeding cats and people would say, are you going to take them in? And I just, mm -hmm. I wasn't ready for it. And, and uh, there was a big, uh, remember in 2009, we had all those, uh, we had all those snowstorms, like five in a row. 
you know, like we we hadn't had any we hadn't had any snow for like three or four years, and we got yes. slammed that whole time. That you know, like four or five blizzards, and so the first one, December eighteenth, and I will always remember that date because it changed my life. Uh, December eighteenth, and I, I had already been feeding the cats for like for like three years, right? And December eighteenth, you know, as you know, you probably know this. Uh, feral cats are very smart, and when there's uh, bad weather, they usually find places to hide. Simone was hanging out uh, on my stoop, and I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I was seeing, here comes the snow, and she's getting covered. And I said, if I don't take her in, if I take her in, I could get in trouble because my landlord might give me a hard time. But if I don't, I'll come out, and there's a uh, frozen cat. So I decided to take her in, and, and and that changed my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird because I it's like I, I get that because I'll be honest with you I don't I don't have any pets but there was there was a cat that was uh, on my porch and it was like really cold outside and I was very close and I wasn't going to keep the cat but I was going to accidentally <laughs> let the cat in the house. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it accidentally leaves some food down. Because I was like, I can't let, you know. And But what happened was um, it turned out to be my neighbor had a house cat that got out. And she was looking for her, And she couldn't find it. But she never she never said anything. She just kind of looked around. And oh, she, I, I know she was kind of upset. But I, I think she probably just thought the cat got hit by a truck or something. Or something bad happened to the cat. And so, and I said, this is cat that's on my porch all the time. She goes, what is the cat? Is it a girl? I said, yeah, it's a girl. She goes, and what does the cat look like? And I described, she goes, oh my God, that's my cat. I said, well, I know where your cat is right now. She goes, where? She goes, all right, look, see that Toyota Camry right there? Yeah. You're pointing to your car. I said, yes, I'm pointing to my car. Look under my car. And the cat was under there because it was warm under there. It wouldn't Because I couldn't get the cat in the house. Um, but it was warm under the car. So I, I was, it was, it got to the point where every day I'd walk outside, I would literally right, get into right. the push-up position and look under my car <laughs> just to make sure that the cat wasn't under there. And then finally, she goes and she grabs the cat and takes the cat in the house. And I never saw. Right. The, I wouldn't say I never saw the cat again. I see the cat all the time in the window, but um, she, that was the first time the cat got outside because she's normally very, very good. Because you know, if you have a cat that's yeah, used to being in the house. They really don't need to be running around outside, you know. Uh, they just they, they they don't know what to do. It's like a dog that's never been out of the house. Cars are com- are completely foreign to them. They don't even know to avoid them. So you know, you never know what the situation is. Now you had now with the with the cats that you had when you had them, and you and you had them for a long time. I was about eight, dealer, um, as you said. Um, how old was you? Mm. Yeah, that's about middle-aged to late. That's, that's late in between being right. what they call a young cat and like a middle-aged. It's not quite an old cat, but it's I, I'd say it's up there. Simone should be, Simone's about 11 now. And uh, how about Simone? Mm. Okay. So now... This is something I don't want to be insensitive when I say this because a lot of times, um, and it's not a bad thing. I just it's just that you never know because I know people that I couldn't personally do this. But like if I lost yeah. a pet, I can't just go. Well, got to get another one. You know, I can't do that. Um, I know people that you know mm-hmm. they have a dog for a long time they, and they genuinely love the dog. You know, I mean they they even you know you know you you know they watch the videos of the dog every once in a while and they they have the pictures and stuff. But that the second that dog was gone, they mourned him for a little while, and I'm talking the ne- the next puppy was right back into the house. And I'm going, I didn't say anything to them, but I remember going over to hang out, and I'm looking around. I'm going, and I saw the puppy, and I was like, you know, uh, <laughs> it's been like uh, it's been like two weeks, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm like, I still, I was, I walked into the house, bummed out because when I would walk in, the dog. Because I was that was my friend, so obviously I was all over there all the time. Right. You know, how dogs right. once they know you and like you, you're part of the pack, even if you don't live in the house. Um, and 
you know, and so and and my so but my 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 cousin had a cat. I used to call him crazy. I used to call him crazy cat. They got the cat because they had mice. Uh, and they wanted to get rid of the cat because somebody was cutting the, the yard across them and the mice and the cat. And they just, the cat was just there. It was like, oh, hey, cat, here's some food. I played with the cat. So when I walked in the house, you could literally <laughs> hear Crazy Cat. You could hear the little paws. He would literally jump off the middle of the steps over right. the banister. And I would have my hands, I would hold my hands out like I was holding the cake. Oh, cool. And he would jump off the steps into my hands and then jump on my shoulder. And they're going, they're like, that damn cat likes you more than they like us. I said, because you don't pet the cat. <laughs> you know, that's why it's it's a pet. You're supposed to hug the cat yeah. and play with the cat and rub the cat, you know, like you care about them or like them. <laughs> you know, it's like, why would you have a cat in the house and just like, okay, you got a job to do, cat, just kill something, and there it is. And I, <laughs> I can't do that. But what I wanted to know about after that long rant I just went on, do you think that you will bring right. in, because you're used to having more than one cat. I don't think so. I'm, I'm having problems just on landlord too you now. You bring in another but I don't want to be that guy with the two cats. I mean, it was great when I had two cats, and and also, you know what? I think Simone likes being an only cat, to be honest with you. She likes the attention. And I think uh, Neela, she was wonderful, but I think she was kind of a hog for attention. And when she saw I was paying too much attention to Simone, she came up and had to get attention. So I'm okay with it now. By the way, to those of you listening... What he's describing about the cats having a little bit of problems with each other, having a sibling rivalry. Yes, it does. That exists <laughs> in the book as well. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, w- I, w- I would just put it to you this way: it's very, very interesting. And that's when I told. Uh, that's what I said. If you, if you, uh, what I will say to this is, um, uh, I'm I'm in the process of reading the book. I enjoy the book, and I. The first time I read, I read the first, I think, 40 pages uh, in the first sitting because there's a lot of things going on. And I have to write. I have to read big chunks of it and then I'll have to have to take care of some other business. I have to take care of then I'll come back and read another chunk. That's why I didn't get a chance to finish it. But if you get an up, if you get an opportunity to read the book and I hope you do, uh, I defy you. Yeah, I'm challenging you. You go get this book. I bet you wow. I bet you don't stop. For at least twenty five years, I bet Appreciate you don't. Um, <laughs> I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you this. I got. I got. I got. Oh no problem. Just telling the truth, brother. Just telling the truth. Um, I got. I. I said. I, I want. I, I'm, I want to ask you about this. This is something I, I was curious about. Uh, and don't. And obviously, you can't say but so much. Yeah. A, a nice chunk in the in the first quarter of the book, and I don't want to ruin it for people. Right. <clears throat> The Dream World Story Battle. Okay. Now, I don't want to get into specifics because if you say too much, all right, it will, it will, you know, we, we, you can't say too much there. And I don't want to go any further than that. I'll just say when you get the book, uh, when you hear, when you see the Dream World Story wow. Battle section come up, get, get your popcorn Thanks for ready. that okay, as now, well, by uh, the way. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. Now, when you when you did this, oh no problem, my brother. no problem, my brother. Because it was I, I just got a kick out of it, you know, in the, in the sec- section with the uh, the chess and, and those kind of things. And then at the end of the book, like I said, like we said in, in, earlier in this in this particular podcast, that's when we go into um, more of an uh, more detail about Joshua's life and things of that nature. So that's the part that's that's the that's part three of the book near the end. Um, when you were writing this, now keep in mind this is this is this is basically um, you'll get this reference because I think this is basically kind of uh, you know it was kind of uh, at, yeah. the, at the end it was, became kind of your purple rain, you know. <laughs> this book is your you know your purple rain, uh, and um, when you were putting this stuff on the book, when you were writing this down, and. I mean, keep in mind, you know, you're really diving into some real stuff here. You know what I mean? You know, so 
you know, what's going do you, do you feel uncomfortable because now you're literally you're telling people a whole lot of things that may or may not come up in regular conversation and it becomes it's apparent when you're reading it that you're telling things obviously you're <laughs> embellishing some things for humor and uh, I'm pretty sure that there was no dream world battle uh, or was there dun, dun, that's funny that's funny <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I'm, I'm actually laughing at that, man. It's actually very good. <laughs> but, or, go ahead. <laughs> so when you when you when you when you but when you're pouring things out, I, I'll I, I'll speak for myself just to just to ref just to give you what I'm talking about. Um, I have another podcast, and I tend to do. I tend in the beginning of that podcast, I would talk about things that actually happened to me that were kind of personal. And at the time, nobody was listening. So then all of a sudden people started listening and I'm going, ah, Jesus, ah, boy, (laughs) you know, because it was, it was obvious that it was, I was talking about myself, even though I had changed things, you did this. And obviously I know you, but I didn't know some of these things, but you put them down and you wrote them for the world to see. Well, believe me, there's I mean, some there things that don't you go were in writing there. this down, you, you know, know. Like, uh, like the time I uh, had uh, sex with all the, uh, all the uh, Lakers cheerleaders. I didn't think I needed to put that in there. But, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Those <laughs> Can't believe yeah, yeah, anyway. was wrong when I called anyone. You make me sick, You know what? Uh, here's how. The, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, so here's my answer to that. If you notice, and I didn't do this on purpose. I guess any creative person, there's an inner need that's beyond just entertainment. I think I had a need to get these things out. And as the book came along, I realized that's how it evolved. Sometimes the book talks to you. The characters talk to you. Mm-hmm. And if if you notice, at the end of the book, the girls tell Stephen, we like your personal stories better. And I think, so the book is about my, my evolution, how I realized that as I'm writing the book, I need to talk about myself because these are things that need to get out. And to be honest with you, my problems with, my brother in the book, um, he's actually gotten worse. He's he's a very sophisticated guy outside, but inside he's kind of an evil SOB. And again, if anyone in my family, it's one of the reasons, two reasons I, I use the name, because there was a story when I was a kid, I think it's in the book sort of, when my mom asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I said I wanted to be a writer. And she said, uh, well, What's your pen name? And I said, my pen name is Joshua Livingston. So I, that was when I was five years old. So when my mom had Alzheimer's, I thought it would be a cool thing to write the book under that name. But then I realized I could have problems with my family. So that's the other reason I decided to go under that name. But my point is, as I'm writing the book, as I'm getting to the end of it, I said, you know what? These things have to be told because that's how I feel. And I think it adds to the book. I think it adds to the book. It makes the book. Uh, I get it. More three dimensional, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it. Yeah, with yeah, when you when see the thing is, people connect with artists. If you see that the artists that people connect with the most, you can see. You can see the through line. You can see bits and pieces of them in the art. And the more they put into the art, the more transparent or three-dimensional, as you say, that the work becomes, the more they can relate to it. And it just kind of sticks to them. You know, they just, you know, they'll they'll, they'll read to the book or they'll go back and listen to the music or they'll go back and watch the movie or they'll listen to the this or they'll read the that. And, you know, that's, because like I said, as soon as when I read, I was like, yeah, he's he's telling on himself. He's, he's telling this story, and I think that when people people get an opportunity to check it out, they'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Now, I, before we before I go, I got it. Before we go, 
the next book? Uh, I'm going to try to tell it short, but um, I had a little windfall last year, and I bought a lot of typewriters. I have a little collection of manual typewriters. Actually, I have about 18 in a small studio apartment. And well, but anyway, last year when mm-hmm. Neela died, I had a lot of uh, a lot of feelings about it, and I started to write a book. I actually wrote a book about speech camp first, but I didn't like it. I didn't write the whole book, but I got started, and I realized I had to go back to something more personal. So the book, and I'll just give you a short description. I'm actually done with the first draft. I wrote the first draft on a typewriter. I'm transcribing it into my laptop. It's called Neela's Bucket List. And in the book, she finds out she has cancer. And instead of going for treatment, which is not 100% guaranteed, which, by the way, would turn out to be the way in real life, she wants to travel around the world and fulfill her bucket list. So that's what the book is about. You know, I'm really trying to make a push to be a lot more successful now to market market this one, try to complete the second one. Mm-hmm. I actually have I have a PR person that's helping me uh, free of charge. Actually, I, I don't want to mention his name; I'll get in trouble. But he's out on the West Coast, and mm-hmm. he has agreed to help me. So I'm trying to make a push. So I don't really know what's going to happen, but I'm sure mm-hmm. when I sit down and write my third book, and that'll be a ways. Because I still have some work to do on the second book. But, you know, a lot of it depends on what's going on with the world and what's going on with me. All right, folks, I want to thank you very, very much for stopping by and stopping back. Much love to you all. I will see you again next time. Take care.